this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mo Never Told You. Today, we are once again joined by my good friend, Samantha. Hello, Samantha. Hello. Thank you. I'm back. Yep, you are. (laughs) And you will be back for this this series that we're doing. Forever. Also forever. Sitting in the corner, staring at everyone. Yes, doing the grudge. Yeah. I'm not doing it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is uh, the second in our series examining trauma and sexual assault in the era of Me Too. And you are a great person to bring in for this because you do uh, you have a history in social work. That is my career thus far. Thus far. Thus far. We're yeah. gonna put that as a dot 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 oh, asterisk in there. You know, what I I'm love including those because it just adds this layer of mystery right? and intrigue. What is she gonna do next? <laughs> Ooh, dot dot dot. I'm gonna stay at home and just eat eat and watch TV. Can someone pay me to do that? <laughs> I think there is. Yeah, I think you can get paid for that. I'm sure it's very competitive. Oh, we're going to research this in a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the next, immediately that's the after next this. thing we're doing. <laughs> immediately after <laughs> Goals. this. Um, so quick trigger warning. We are talking about grooming and what, a, what exactly that entails, including specific methods and purposes. Um, and just to kind of prep everyone to prime everyone, the general definition of grooming is the act of preparing or training someone for a particular purpose or activity. And oftentimes it involves someone of power mentoring, training, or intimidating another individual. But in this conversation, we're mostly going to be talking about it in terms of abuse. And specifically, trigger warnings, uh, we're going to be talking about abuse, sexual assault, molestation and grooming, sexual grooming, sexual exploitation, human trafficking, bestiality, pedophilia. Most of these we're not going to go in depth on, but if it's something that is triggering or difficult for you, please put your own health and well-being first. And this is something that several of you have written in about and that's been in the news quite a lot lately because as we record this, the R. Kelly thing, the documentary, is really big in the news cycle and grooming is a part of that conversation. Hashtag mute R. Kelly. Hashtag mute R. Kelly. Mm. I'm all about it. Mm-hmm. If we look at this whole picture of abuse or of choosing or preparing a victim, grooming is often the first step or a quick second step, I suppose. A study that came out recently found most people couldn't identify signs of grooming. So hopefully... This episode that we're having uh, can make us all a little more vigilant and aware. I know I learned a lot from researching this one. You know, Annie, I was going to add to that that it is oftentimes hard to see in a victim, which Mm -hmm. is why a lot of the sites you'll see and a lot of the statistics is to say to um, focus on the perpetrator. You'll see their actions, including the online um, perpetrators, there are specifics to that, which we won't necessarily go into, but that is something to think on, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's start, as I like to do, uh, with a definition. What is grooming? Author and counselor Eric Marlowe Garrison defines it like this. Grooming is the slow, methodical, and intentional process of manipulating a person to a point where they can be victimized. After the perpetrators find their targets, they gain trust and move in from there. 
The U.S. Department of Justice Office of Sex Offender Sentencing defines it as grooming is a method used by offenders that involves building trust with a child and the adults around a child in an effort to gain access to and time alone with him or her. In extreme cases, offenders may use threats and physical force to sexually assault or abuse a child. More common, though, are subtle approaches designed to build relationships with families. The offender may assume a caring role, befriend the child, or even exploit their position of trust and authority to groom the child and or the child's family. These individuals intentionally build relationships with the adults around a child or seek out a child who is less supervised by adults in their lives. This increases the likelihood that the offender's time with the child is welcomed and encouraged. So we are talking a lot about children and grooming of children in this episode, but it can happen to anyone. Right. Um, And I think we're going to talk a little more, but you and I discussed the fact that when it comes to domestic violence, that is a type of grooming as well, because oftentimes they will seek women who have already been through specific situations, traumas in their life, maybe have grown up with domestic violence in their lives, and then they kind of hone in on these women and specifically pick them because they are easier victims. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, that's has a lot to do with sexual abuse. And it is often the precursor to the crime of sexual abuse. Right. But sexual grooming is a standalone crime in itself, but it is hard to prove. And you'll see why that is in a minute. So, as we're talking about the fact that, yes, it can be specifically to sexual abuse of children, we're going to talk about all the facts about domestic violence, as I had previously said. But also, if you look at gangs and cults, they kind of do the same thing. Um, they look for individuals who lack family and therefore need something to hold on to. And they groom these people into mentoring mm-hmm. and oftentimes in volatile ways. So if you look at gang members and you look at the fact that a lot of teenagers have been recruited, for lack of better terms, um, they are looking for father figures, family figures, and this is where they go to seek it. And on top of that, they're being taught how to make money or how to do things without going the hard route, as in like education or building family trust, counseling and all of that. It kind of pulls away from that, and they think this is what they want. Same thing as pedophiles. It's not just a pedophilic act, but something done out of dominance and Honestly, while we're talking about pedophiles, let's be specific as the differences of pedophiles and child molesters, because I think that's not talked about enough. Pedophiles can be sexually aroused by prepubescent children and oftentimes form emotional attachments to their victims. If you look at NAMBLA as an example, they really feel like this is another form of sexuality, that having a relationship from a young boy with an older man should not be stopped if it's gentle. And they truly believe that this is a relationship that people are not willing to seek. Which, when we talk about the fact that children do not have the option to consent because they are not able to say no and understand why they can say no, mm-hmm. which is also an important part about having parents teach their children, it's okay to not to be touched, not to be tickled, and say, I don't want to hug you, yeah. which is very important. And we talked about more and more as of late, and I know a lot of women and a lot of parents have become very aware of this and started to teach their children these things. But... NAMBLA has this whole fixation that I'm in love, he's in love with me, and I can take care of them, which is disturbing on its own. As where child molesters and abusers use child for sexual stimulation and could be more about opportunity than need. So when I say that, I often see peer-on-peer victims, so youth-on-youth crimes, where youth 
will actually sexually abuse another youth who may be similar to their age and not because they prefer that child, but because it's an opportunity and they're Mm -hmm. still considered child molester and a sex offender on top of that. Mm -hmm. And this conversation, um, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but it also, we can bring in exploitation and trafficking in this, in this whole thing. The perpetrator of grooming uh, can be just about anyone from retired special agent with the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit, Kenneth V. Lanning. Quote, pedophiles span the full spectrum from saints to monsters. In spite of this fact, over and over again, pedophiles are not recognized, investigated, charged, convicted, or sent to prison simply because they are nice guys. As in fact, my experiences in working with sex offenders, it's common to see a sex offender being the most cooperative and workable group of offenders. They, majority of these types of offenders are not necessarily violent and often very aware of their surroundings and how to stay under the radar. You could also say that for female adults with younger men or the younger teenage boys. They are not volatile, but they use their sexuality as well as their dominance and or power to get control over these youth. And oftentimes, somehow convince these teenage boys slash younger boys that they are not victims, but they are the loves of their lives, they're their boyfriends, which is a manipulation in itself. And honestly, not to make you paranoid, but just to give, just to give empower you with information, I think by now people are aware of all the shocking statistics of human trafficking. So I kind of want to jump into that. And for us in Atlanta, that's a really big issue. Yeah. Atlanta has one of the highest statistics when it comes to victims in um, trafficking. And I think that has a lot to do with the international airport that we have. Yeah. We have Hartsville, so a lot of international flights come through there, so people are easily accessible or flights are easily accessible wherever, mm-hmm. um, as well as our big events. And with that, I want to talk a little bit about CSEC victims, mm-hmm. which means... Commercially Sexually Exploited Children, which you're going to hear me say that acronym a lot, and you probably may have already heard it and not realized what it is. But what it comes down to is here we're defining children or youth under the age of 18, um, specifically victims about how they're found and how they're picked out. And we're going to talk a little more about what exactly that looks like, the whole human trafficking. I know that's a pretty big word, and everybody's become very aware of it. If we go, if we broaden out to grooming, we don't have any solid numbers on it because it's something that is surrounded by shame, fear, guilt, or not realizing that a form of abuse is taking place. Numbers we do have from 2006 indicate that one in four girls and one in five boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18. Some estimates put the number of child sex offenders as low as 5%. Again, it's one of those things that isn't reported on very often. Like, it's underreported, this crime. So probably numbers are higher than what we're saying, and they're already pretty high. And that has a lot to do with children don't know how to report. They're not taught how to report. Mm -hmm. One, two, they feel like they're unsafe to try to actually report, or they do it way later in time in which the statute of limitations are gone, and that varies from state to state, which is unfortunate. And a lot of times they're discouraged by members that are close to them to not report. So yeah. all of these things have factors into why it is so underreported. Mm-hmm. And generally, grooming starts as friendship. The groomer learns what the potential target likes, what they dislike, things that they can use 
later. Social media can play a big part of this. The groomer can learn a lot about the person from what they post, and they can use that information to form a friendship. That's one reason why being careful about what we post, especially for younger people, is always, always, always recommended. From the stuff you post on social media, someone could start a conversation about your interests. They might mention someone you know as if they know that person too, or in the case of a power disparity in terms of maybe a job, a coach, or a teacher, or a doctor, or a priest, because there already is one inherent a power dynamic if a minor is involved, mentioning the power that they have. Right. I mean, we can just talk about the fact you can lose your job now. If you post something that may not have anything to do with your job, you can lose scholarships, you can lose anything, in which we try to tell everyone, Mm -hmm. don't be dumb. You will be found out. If it's on the internet, even once, it can be found again. I know that that's one of the same things that we talk about with sharing your location. That is beyond dangerous because oftentimes these offenders are at the level that they will stalk you. I think the recent case, Close? Jaden Close, is that her name? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and look at this. Who just recently was kidnapped at her, after her parents were shot. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, he stalked her, and it had nothing to do with social media, but just the level at some, some, that some uh, perpetrators will go to. Mm-hmm. He stalked her from a school bus to the home, not knowing who she was, not knowing who they were, and was willing to commit murder and kidnapping to mm-hmm. get to her, which is a rude awakening. It happens. And so, therefore, things like location tagging and all that can be very seriously dangerous, which needs to be discussed with your youth, teenagers, everyone. Yeah. I've always, that that scary moment when the, well, at least for me, it was a little frightening. I've had it happen a couple of times, but when the the Lyft driver is like, oh, do you live here alone? And you're like, oh, shh. <laughs> um, no, this is my friend's house. I remember being in high school when social media was relatively new, my marching band director saying that you should never trust someone who comes up to you and says something like, um, I know so-and-so, and they said I should give you a ride or something like that because they could find that stuff out from social media. And I remember specifically at the time being kind of thrown by that idea. But he, I mean, he was right. Yeah. As a nanny, I was really overprotective due to having worked as an investigator in child abuse and sexual abuse and would oftentimes intervene if anything looked suspicious. And I still think children under 16 should not be on social media. I was very upset with my brother and sister when they were allowed their teens, or not even teens, 11, 12-year-old to get on social media and reminding them, this is not safe. You think you have a control over the phones, over the social media. You don't know what's going on. You will never catch up to the new ways or fads or whatever that is happening that you think you can be protective. I know Kik came out, K-I-K, for a Mm -hmm. while, and that was one of the scariest things to me because it was those photo messages that would send back. And I actually had a case where a, a kid sent, let's just say, an indecent picture to another kid. And then it got spread all around, and we came back, and it's like, you know this is a felony, right? This is child molestation. This is child porn, distribution of child porn. And they didn't understand that because they're all children. But it doesn't have anything to do with age, the Mm -hmm. fact that you're spreading this. But it's such a scary thing that I am overly cautious and oftentimes will make sure that they understand this is not as safe as you think. I remember I fought with my employer about getting these kids' phones, and they did. They kind of stepped up to it because they used the kid version and then another version. But then we started talking about PlayStations, how they're easily accessible to the Internet, and oftentimes they use that as an outlet for social media. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole scary thing. 
Yeah, it is. And I mean, I could do, I could speak for hours and hours about the harassment I received through a gaming system. But that's a different episode. Uh, and it, it sucks. This whole thing sucks because, once again, the onus is on us to prevent someone from doing something terrible. And someone who's dedicated the majority of my adult life to this is taxing. And it's never-ending. It seems like I'm just digging a hole, hoping that I'm kind of helping a little bit. Right. But then you turn around, and there's something new, there's something different, there's something more. Mm-hmm. And another thing to keep in mind, uh, the parent, adult, authority figure, support group, whatever it is, of the target are often groomed as well to progressively accept escalating levels of seemingly innocent physical contact and isolation as normal. Um, And this is one of the ways something like Larry Nassar happens, which I read in many places, like, that situation was just the perfect thing for grooming. Um, or R. Kelly. I knew a guy who was really active in the homeless transgender teen community, and he was doing something like this. And I think he was also a government official. Um, he's not anymore. He's in jail. Uh, as and, he should be. As he should be. And as I've said before, outside of this, I do acting. And unsettling amount of times, I often see a post to alert people that a predator is asking for pictures or videos of child actors under the guise of an audition or getting a role. It's disturbing how often we get a note from our agent, this guy is not for real. Don't send him any pictures of your children. I think the taboo or the stereotype was the creepers come around offering you modeling jobs, and it turns out it's not really modeling jobs, and whether they're trying to just get nude pictures or assault someone or do something even more dangerous, that people have started to become a little more more aware. I would hope, after all the Lifetime specials that I've seen... (laughs) Yeah. They're all dangerous. That's what I figured out. Right. But that, that this is a way to get to you and the kids by promising something bigger, money, power, fame, all of those things. R. Kelly, that's exactly what he did. He takes these 15, 16-year-olds, 14-year-old if you're a Leah, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and promise, I'm going to build you a future, I'm going to make you a right. star, and then starts doing the emotional and physical and mental abuse with them in order to train them and subdue them into his power. Right. And that's that power dynamic again. And we're going to talk more about that after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. After this, friendship has been established. So we were talking about that earlier, just establishing friendship and or some kind of nicety. Yeah. Uh, the target views the groomer as a friend, a mentor, or a romantic interest. Their guard is down. The groomer might start offering gr- gifts or favors. And the goal is to make the target feel like they owe the groomer something. They usually start small, maybe keeping a promise, but build over time. Right. And I have some personal experience that I'm going to share. But don't worry. I'm not going into gory detail. Um, that wouldn't be good for anybody. But for me... I have had what I call four periods of sexual abuse in my life. And the hallmark in all of them, the common thread, was vulnerability and that power dynamic. They all involved authority figures. The first two times, it was someone my parents trusted and I trusted because I'm a kid and they're in an authority role in my life. But on the silver lining side of this awful situation, they ended, they both ended fairly quickly because I told someone 
Um, but the first time, it was a preschool teacher, and he had a motorcycle. That's what I remember the most. He had a motorcycle, and I wanted to ride it, and he offered, like, maybe one day I'll let you ride it, but first let's do this and this and this. And uh, he also had uh, gold stars, and I wanted to be a good girl, and I'd get these gold stars. I mean, that's exactly something that often happens. They give you, they see the person or the victim, and then they use exactly what is needed for that individual victim. So it's not just an overall blanket. It is tailored to each individual victim. And often like you, you want to please someone, and you Mm -hmm. see this. And we could also talk about the attachment issues and family life and or previous abuse, because oftentimes I've seen children of abuse, as you will show, Mm-hmm. are targeted again. Yeah. The likelihood of them being targeted again as a victim goes exponentially higher. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they know, but they know. Yeah. And I say they as in the offenders, the perpetrators, right. that this is someone that you can groom or may have already been groomed, and so therefore they can tailor it once again mm-hmm. in a different manner. Yeah. It's like a, a predator's instinct. Um, and after this whole situation, my family moved, for for other reasons too, but in part because of this, and I don't blame my parents, but they didn't really explain it to me. Uh, and again, I think it's a horrible, difficult conversation to have with your young child. But all I knew was we were moving away from my friends because I had said something. And the second time, I was still really young, and it was a friend of a family, and he definitely played up the whole, like, boys will be boys. Your value is in how desirable you are. This is a good thing. Don't be a crybaby. Don't be so weak. And I felt this pressure not to say anything that would ruin his life. And I already felt that I was lesser and that I should stay quiet and not rock the boat. And I was eight. And both of these men, yeah, they they knew what to say and how to earn my trust and how to keep me from saying anything. Right. And I was going to add with that, that's part of the thing I see in a lot of victims is that at the very beginning, they're fairly empathetic. Yeah. And therefore, they wear the guilt on themselves, which is kind of why everything's underreported. And as we look at more the Me Too era, even for older women, adult women who have come gone through the situation, whether it's rape or sexual abuse or whatever, as an adult, you see that same statistic, I don't want to ruin this person's life. Yeah. He's a good man, but right. he is a good they are a good person, but mm-hmm. they only did this to me. I'm the only victim. It's okay. So yeah. so many times a lot of the victims or survivors, are willing to take on his shame, which is absurd. And part of that is also because people don't want to hear it. And so, therefore, it's easier to be quiet and say, never mind, don't worry about it. Right. That's something I still catch myself, like, speaking in that way. Like, I don't want to ruin his life. He ruined his life. Um, The third and longest phase of my abuse, um, it started as a building of trust. Both of my parents and my older brother were hospitalized, which was traumatic in itself. Yeah. And I had no idea when they were coming back. I was a teenager in a house by myself with my little brother, and I was so scared. I was in this vulnerable state. And these two men knew that. And they did say something along the lines of, like, my parents had sent them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. But I, I, they, I was really suspicious and uncomfortable, but I was grateful that I had some kind of help in this situation. Um, and even kind of flattered because they would tell me how mature I was or how pretty I was for my age. But I had a turning point, and I realized, like, I really don't like these people. I don't want them near my little brother. I told them I didn't want them coming around anymore, and they became extremely violent, enough so that I 
never, ever wanted that to happen again. It scared the hell out of me. And they threatened me and my little brother. That's why the situation lasted so long. Because I didn't know what to do. And obviously, so much of my life suffered because of it. Uh, My friendship suffered, my mental health, my physical health. But I felt like I had to be the strong one for my brother. And every night, I just remember laying awake listening because his room was next to mine. I was just not sleep because I was so, so scared. Right. You were a protector. And actually, Annie, what you experienced is something many of the perpetrators use as a grooming tactic, as well as that they single out one child out of a group of peers or even a group of siblings, or they specifically target loners, for the lack of a better term, and will use threats or rewards as a way to maintain their hold over these victims. And that includes, I'm going to hurt your brother, I'm going to hurt your mother, I'm going to hurt your father, things that they know you are worried about. And they're not afraid to use these tactics to get what they want because in the end, they have the power and that's more gratifying than the end result of what could happen. And it works because children believe adults. And that's part of the problem. We want them to understand adults. We want them to respect adults. But at the same time, how do you differentiate respecting the right adult? Yeah. I mean, these are difficult. They're, They're hard questions and they're difficult conversations to have, but we do need to having them. Um, So when the groomer becomes a part of the target's daily life, maybe shows up at events that the target is attending alone, this this builds that trust. And eventually, when the groomer is feeling confident, they'll start asking for these favors back. And they usually start as a non-sexual favor, and then they become progressively more sexual in nature, Uh, maybe watching pornography together, touching, sending sexual materials, And another hallmark of grooming is secrecy. For obvious reasons, the groomer tries to keep this relationship under wraps, especially in the early stages. And in order to try to ensure silence from their victims, they will say something like, don't tell anyone I did you this favor because they'll be jealous and everyone will want me to do the same thing for them. Uh, The key is flattery and to make the target feel special. At the same time, the groomer starts to distance the target from people in their life that could help them. Once the physical aspect of the relationship is established, then shame plays a huge role in the silence, along with things like force or these threats. Separating the victim from their support group makes controlling them easier. Treating the target as a co-conspirator is also a part of this. Um, Yeah, one of my abusers was really good at that. He would say stuff like, everything you are, I made you, as if... I owed him a big favor, um, and I would willing I would willingly go back to him because I didn't know what else to do. But I knew not going back to him would make him very angry. It'd be a very bad thing for me. And this is where I would step in and say: Remember, guilt and shame and loneliness are major emotions that offenders know can be easily manipulated. Mm-hmm. They want to use this as a tactic to silence you. Guilt and shame we have on our own pretty yeah. easily. Yeah, I could list off all the shameful things I did today. <laughs> I'm not going to because that's going to be three episodes long. Unless you guys want to hear it. I'm just playing. Uh, but this is why as a social worker, we advise guardians and parents that they watch out for the physical signs mm-hmm. of abuse because you're not going to necessarily know what's happening. These offenders, groomers, perpetrators are really good in putting themselves in the middle of a situation yeah. at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with your weakness. It has nothing to do with their weakness. It's just they find the opportunity and they take it. And again, like I said before, these offenders slash perpetrators, mm-hmm. they seem like nice guys. 
or nice women, nice people in general. They seem like they're coming in to help you. They want to make your life better. And this is a tactic that they know to use. They can't just come in. There are the aggressive ones. Let's talk about that. I realize the name is Jamie Close, not Jaden, who I was talking about previously, which he just came in with his mental health issues and just drug her out. Mm -hmm. That's more unusual, which is why we don't hear about that as much. But when we do, it's like, oh, my gosh, what happened? Yeah. What we don't hear about is the years and years and years and years of abuse that they had from the uncle or the years and years and years of abuse of the neighbor or the pastor or their coach, you know, stuff like that. That's when you start realizing, oh, my gosh, I didn't know. And that's also when you start hearing, he was such a nice guy, I thought he was helping us. Yeah. And that's part of the problem in which we can't always see what is happening with a child until after the fact. So some yeah. of the th- signs, and I know we're going to go into this a little deeper. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, I know you have a laundry list. Yeah. It's awesome, so we can take notes. But just to throw that out there, some of the signs would include withdrawal and isolation from the victim, yeah. bedwetting, early sexualization, which is something that I don't think people realize enough because they think it's just funny if right. they say something ridiculous. But when you start realizing what's happening, early sexualization is a big, big part of it. And you've got to figure out where they're learning this from because either way, because they are so young, they will they may act on it in a way that you don't want to know about, whether it's with their cousin, whether it's with a dog, whether it's with, you know, whatever's there for their opportunity. So that's something that I always talk about. It's like you need to see how they're acting out. If they're acting out, you need to be concerned and start asking why are they acting out. And it may be as simple as they watch the wrong show. Um, and then we would talk about regression as well, which they go back and start more and more childlike, maybe, you know, thumb sucking, start mm-hmm. crying more, all of those things. But any, like I said, I know we're going to go into more of the details, but just to throw that out there once again. Right. And grooming, another part that, that makes it difficult is it it can be hard to separate from romance because there is this slow build and it can seem innocuous at first. The target and other people in the target's life can mistake it as romance. Right, and this is where I'm going to come back into talking about human trafficking slash domestic human trafficking and CSEC, that commercially sexually exploited children. Because oftentimes, most of the targets believe they're going into something on their own with their free will, thinking that they're coming into a relationship and or a living situation that's benefiting them both. Oftentimes, children who are part of these circumstances happen to be kids who are seeking something better. Like we were talking about that whole isolating, being alone, bad family situation. And honestly, with the LGBTQI generation, it's even more prominent in that group Mm -hmm. because they're already feeling isolated. If they're being shunned by their family, they're trying to find someone to help them to seek out what they need. So we're going to go back and talk about the fact that child sex trafficking slash the prostitution of children, which is defined as child sex tourism involving commercial sexual activity, Mm. the commercial production, I'm so sorry, the commercial production of child pornography and the online transmission of a video of which child is engaged in sexual activity in exchange uh, for anything of value. And I think I wanted to bring this up at this time because what we often see is that children who are manipulated with this type of situation believe, like we said, that they are in a romantic relationship and see this as a normal way of living and getting money. I've had to have many conversations with a lot of my females, my girls, who go into a situation 
will not say that they are victims, even though they know that they have had to have sex with older men and give the money to their boyfriend, quote-unquote. Right. Or they get tagged with the name of the boyfriend as a way of a marker. Yeah. Or they are having to pay back for food or drugs that they're giving by using drugs. So oftentimes, I don't think people see that as a thing. And this is why we have this conversation of charging teenage girls or teenage boys as prostitutes is problematic. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes what you see is there is, for the lack of better terms, a pimp slash a perpetrator who is pushing this from behind, threatening her, telling her she's going to be alone, all of these situations. Mm -hmm. Because they are being forced to, but we don't see that. We just see... And I say we as the government sometimes, until recently, saw that as these kids are committing a crime, we're going to give them a prostitution charge right, or soliciting charge, which is absurd. As in fact, we're talking about that case in Tennessee where she finally was given clemency, granted yes. clemency, when mm-hmm. she shot the man who was pimping her out at 16. Right. And I'm not going to lie, I know that the what happened was great because the governor finally released her or granted that. Mm-hmm. However, he also said she did a heinous crime but she's, she's ready to make up for it. And that's, I have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. She did a crime, yes. But I have a feeling, as a person who's worked in this field, to her it was survival. And should we be punishing her to that level and still using her as a stigma as a murderer when she was maybe defending herself or right. trying to get out of this life without losing her life? Yeah, yeah. One warning sign, according to experts, is the potential groomer's insistence to to meet up beyond what might be considered normal and potentially utilizing um, threats or guilt to get the person to show up. Um, since the groomers put a lot of time and maybe money into grooming, they want to check in on the, their progress in the person. Experts also point out that the target usually has some sense that something is not quite right, a feeling that isn't there in consensual romance. like Right. Actually, I know, like I said, as a, I've spoken with many girls coming out of that situation, they will tell you at what point they were like, this is not what I thought. Yeah. There is that moment, mm-hmm. whether it's their first client and or the fifth client or when he hit her or when they, you know, or when she demanded things. There are, there are moments that they have, like, I, I didn't want this. I thought I was in love and I thought we were in this together. Right. And another thing is that grooming can take place completely online, coercing someone to take part in online sexual activities, like sending pictures or videos, having sexual conversations. Then the groomer might tighten their control by threatening to send these things to the target's friends and family. And a groomer just, they they might message 100 children at a time, like just seeing what sticks. And this is, again, that shame factor. Mm-hmm. I've got something of yours. If you don't do this, I'm going to embarrass you and out you as a deviant or whatever, whatnot. And again, I do want to mention, even for minors, they cannot send these sexually explicit pictures because in the law, you're sending child pornography. Therefore, you can be arrested for a very extensive amount of time because we know the GBI, for where we are, and FBI see this as a heinous crime now. Mm -hmm. And they will come at you at full force. Right. And kind of a strange aside, but it kept coming up when I was researching this. um, This movie called Show Dogs, which was a children's movie that came out 
earlier in 2018 about uh, a... <laughs> I don't really know much about the show dog scene, but um, it's about that. And it actually got recut prior to its theatrical release because of a scene where a character was touching the dog's genitals and telling him to go to a zen place. And people pointed out that this is something that happens during grooming, telling a child to pretend you're somewhere else. Uh, And to throw it out there, I have seen cases where children who have been sexually abused, severely abused, use pets and dogs as their sexual outlet. So bestiality is not as unheard of for this type of community because, as I said before, when an opportunity is there, they're going to try it. Mm -hmm. And when listener Emma wrote about this a while ago, she suggested we could extrapolate this whole thing out to a societal level, to how we groom and sexualize young women in the United States and probably a lot of the Western world. And I mean, in my personal examples, the fact that these men told me I was beautiful or that I was sexy, they they knew that that's how I saw my value, and they knew they could use that to manipulate me. Um, are you, Samantha, you brought up religion, how we could right. bring it out to that. When we talk about grooming or bringing someone up or making someone a certain way, when you look at religion, not all religions, but when you look at some religions, they specifically target women to be the subservient person. And so that subservient person becomes a specific representation of a good person. So, like, when I say I'm struggling with this term right now. So, yeah, for women, sometimes in some religions, they're used as trophy wives. So, think about the stereotypical preacher's wife. Mm. You, not only are they created to birth children, but they're also created to hold up the man and be in the background and all of these things and right. make the right food and make the right gestures and make the right connections, but never be allowed to be above the man. Right. So, you, you look at religion and you're like, hmm. Are they grooming certain things? And you start grooming certain kids to be pastors. You start grooming certain kids to be missionaries. Oh, I see this in you. I see this in you. So why don't we do this for you? Yeah. The point being, this is, this could be such a bigger conversation than the one we're having today. And I, I think that is really fascinating and kind of scary to think about. But wanted yeah. to put that in there. I'll be back <laughs> to do that one, too. The one that we're not talking about. But, yeah, I just created that. Okay, perfect. Um, Well, we do have some more for you about recognizing signs. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So there are some signs that you can look out for if you suspect someone you know is being groomed, or I guess even like turning it inward. Um, So alcohol or drug use, nightmares, changes in diet or exercise patterns, insomnia, disordered eating, anxiety, a withdrawn nature, risk-taking, acting inappropriately sexual for their age, and self-harm or suicidal tendencies. And it's so strange doing episodes like these for me because it's kind of a checklist of things I experienced. And as I was researching this, I got a pit in the feeling of my stomach because I... I retroactively recognize these signs in myself. Right, and I think that happens when you start looking back. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is a clear sign of. And I know I've actually spoken with a few women, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with grooming, but they didn't realize what was happening was an assault onto them. 
Yeah. Because they were like, ugh, I just gave up, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I said this, and he, they, he didn't listen, but whatever. Right. And then they moved on, and we were having this conversation, and they make the realization, oh, my gosh, I was raped, or I was assaulted, or I was being groomed for this. Yeah. And it's that clarity of, oh. Yeah. Because also, at the initial moment, you don't want to say you're a victim. That's the yeah. last thing you want to think. Right. As bad as everything is, you don't want to be one more thing of, I'm a victim. And not that it's a bad thing, but it does feel like such a weakness. Right. Even though it shouldn't. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And I know so many listeners have written in about that very thing you're talking about. Like, I didn't realize what happened to me was this. Um, And it is, it's very difficult to accept, like, to put it in those terms. And I think a lot of people will avoid doing it. And I know there's also, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about this in later episodes because I will be here forever, (laughs) um, where they don't think it's as bad. Oh, yeah. So maybe as a child you were never actually raped, but Mm -hmm. you were touched and fondled. That's bad. Yeah. And let's just put it out there. That's abuse, Mm -hmm. and it shouldn't have happened, and that will traumatize you. Yep. And if you were able to move past it in a healthy manner, wonderful. If you haven't, it's not bad. You didn't do anything wrong. It's not abnormal. You need help to get past this because it happened to you. It was unwelcome, and it was harmful. Mm -hmm. End of story. There's no, this is worse than this. That needs to be thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, we need to talk about all of these things. Um, So the NSPCC has a list of signs um, for children specifically, and they include being secretive, especially about what they're doing online, Dating someone older, meeting up with people in strange places, having new things they can't or won't explain, having access to drugs and alcohol, nightmares, cleanliness, bedwetting, masturbation, or touching others inappropriately. Right. And I think I would um, include in some of these things when they randomly start bringing up strangers' names that you don't recognize, Mm. which has happened a lot. And you start asking questions, and if they can't tell you last names, as a person who has done investigations— child abuse, that was one of the things that I would look for. I saw it met with this person. Oh, really? Who is this? It's my so-and-so's friend. Okay, what's his last name? I don't know. How often do you see him? When do you see Just things like that. That's actually a big sign, too. They start suddenly talking about this wonderful person, but yet you don't know who they are, where they came from, but they crept up. Mm-hmm. That's something to watch for, too. Right. And when talking about prevention, especially when it comes to children, it's recommended speaking to them about sex and anatomy at a young age, letting them know that they can come to you with concerns and teaching them about grooming behaviors. And like you were saying, touching, like if you don't want to hug, it's right. totally cool. And um, just, and I think it's just a reminder for the parents or adults who are dealing with the situation too. If this happens to your child, your niece, your nephew, your student, it isn't your fault. And I know part of that shame comes on to the yeah. parents or adults as well. I, I actually experienced this myself. As a child, I'd gone through several different types of abuse, and I was acting out in class, and I also was suicidal. And because my parents didn't know what to do, and they felt shame and they felt guilt, they lashed out mm-hmm. in a different manner, which they have apologized, and we've gone through all the knows and is, but essentially making me feel more ashamed and not being able to come out again with any of the more information. Right. On top of that, this should not be something that you beat yourself up for. Mm-hmm. That is part of the help as well. You being in the proximity of someone else being victimized, it is not your fault either. 
mm-hmm. and you need to care for yourself as much as you need to care for this victim. Right. Yeah, and as I've, I've said on the show before, um, I've actually never told anyone in my family any of this. Like, they would be shocked. Right. Um, and a part of that is because I didn't want them to feel guilty. Right. So, and the thing is that that's me. They've never really given me indication that they would. But that is a part of, like, I considered that. I haven't told them. Um, so those, that's a good point. And we have some, some resources to, to put in here. If you realize that you or someone you know is the target of grooming, there is, there is help for you out there. The first step is recognizing what's going on. Once you do that, identify someone outside of this relationship that you can talk to about it. In a perfect world, this would be a professional, someone who doesn't know the groomer, but that isn't always an option for everyone, unfortunately. You can find resources online that have advice on getting out of a situation like this, and you can call the U.S. National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is 800-799-7233, or um, the U.S. Victim Connect Resource Center, 855-484-2846. They also have online options, but, I mean, one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen is that they have, like, this function or if you click away, it, it erases your um, history. Right. There are so. several op- options for domestic violence victims where you click it and it goes to whether it's your dial page or whatever. And unfortunately, it's necessary. And I wanted to add one more out there, which is with the Child Health National Hotline. So this could be specifically to child services, child needs. It is 1-800-4-A-CHILD. So 1-800-422-4453. And I know in each individual state, there are hotlines to your Department of Family and Children's Services or Family and Children's Services that are available, which in the perfect world would be the end all, right. but at least you are doing something. Yeah, and for listeners not in the United States, there are resources in um, a, lot of, a lot of other countries as well, obviously. So there, there is help out there. A lot of times, targets of grooming might not realize what's going on and will outright deny it. This came up a lot with the thing with R. Kelly, um, which makes helping them difficult. And the best way to approach the situation, from what I've read, is to be a friend and good listener to the target of grooming. Voice your concerns and give reasonings in a calm manner. If you try to remove someone from the situation forcefully, it could get worse for the person that you're talking to. However, if the target is a minor or otherwise vulnerable adult, an authorized adult really needs to intervene. And again, this is something you see with, like, cults. Right. Um, Yeah, and again, I keep referencing my job and my career. I have seen many a times where parents just kind of go after them, go after them, and, and continuously the kids run away, kids run away, kids run away. And... One of the big things that we have to say, we can't make them admit what's going on. We can't make them say they're a victim. We can't make them say this makes them unhappy. Because mm-hmm. in the end, we don't know where they come from mm-hmm. or came from. And oftentimes in my job as a social worker, working with children and working with teenagers, I see that they think this is a better route because they feel like they have more control than what is happening at home. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely a situation. Um, and there's not much you can do other than make sure you're there for them. Yeah. And continue to be there for them and check in on them. Mm-hmm. So I guess to give a little bit of closure for for what I was talking about earlier in my situation, the longest phase of abuse I had, um, it ended with a car crash and um, arrest that I still feel very guilty about because I really wanted them out of my life. Um, 
and I couldn't do it. And when it happened in this abrupt, violent way, I was so relieved. And that, even though I, I know it's totally legitimate and human to feel that way, it made me feel really awful about myself. So that's something I still struggle. These aren't easy, easy things to deal with. Like, right. we're giving you advice, but we're telling you from people who have experienced things, we know it's difficult. And this is where we're coming back to understanding trauma. And that's why we are talking about this because we want you to see every different aspect. Maybe all you had was the grooming experience. That's Mm -hmm. still traumatic. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone you knew went through that experience. That's still traumatic. And, of course, we're going to keep talking about it and keep going into it um, as we go into more of these episodes. But, again, these are things that both Annie and I have experienced, have seen, continue to see, and try to hopefully champion for the people who can't champion for themselves, essentially. But it's important, once again, to take care of yourself. Yes. And these guilt, acknowledge that they're there. Mm-hmm. Trying to pretend like it's not there does not work. I yeah. promise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have come out on many panic attacks trying to repress a lot of lot of things in my past. And unfortunately, which is what we're going to talk about with the different types of trauma, PTSD, CPTSD, all of those things, it comes out unfortunately, yep. whether it's in your relationships in a daily life or whether it's in panic attacks or mental health things, it does. And so, therefore, caring for yourself and acknowledging that these are there are actually very, very important. Yes, and um, that brings us to, we're going to try to end all of these episodes with some self-care stuff. Um, so we're going to like go through what, what we're doing for self-care. For me, uh, I am finally watching Spider-Man 3, which I know some people would argue is the opposite of self-care. <laughs> but I'm excited know. about it. <laughs> These are nerd things. I don't know. I'm so excited. It's notoriously JK. pretty bad. And I'm making, I'm I'm doing this because I'm working on a Venom parody music video. So very important. Which I'm very excited about. Oh, gosh, I am too. I can't tell you how excited I am about it. It's going to be amazing. Recruiting... Can I be in it? Oh, please be in it. I'm recruiting yes. everyone who will help me. Um, so listeners, if you've got some, <laughs> it's a... A song parodied to the tune of Beck's Loser. <laughs> uh, because in the movie Venom, if you don't know, he calls himself a loser. Baby. In a very funny tone of voice. Anyway, also hanging out with friends and going hiking. And um, for the D&D fact of the episode, because I'm going to include one of these for everyone, since my the whole reason I started playing D&D was to deal with my CPTSD. Um, okay. So one thing that's great about D&D, or terrible, depending on who you ask, is that it rarely goes as planned for anybody. And my character is sort of notorious for blowing stuff up. And in in the game, we were invited to this very fancy party. And How fancy? <laughs> like, we had to buy dresses what? or suits. Yeah, um, very fancy. It went terribly awry. Um, <laughs> all the authorities of this entire town are looking for it. Like, they chase us out of the party. And I make time, my character, to blow something up while we're being pursued by the police. And then <laughs> we broke into this mean old lady's magic shop. Again, being pursued by the police. Okay. When you're saying this, this is all on the game not in real life, because no, I got really confused I mean, for a second. Okay, that would be back. great if I broke I was like, through. how are you not arrested? And also, who has a magic shop? <laughs> but keep going. I'm ready now. Yes. So we're uh, we're not great people, if that's not clear. Yeah. Our characters aren't. Apparently. But we're fun. Uh, we're fun at parties. <laughs> 
So, are the parties imaginary parties? Or yes. the, oh, okay. So in or real life. And real parties, okay. both. We'll see. Yes. Um, <laughs> but one of our party members stole an owl cloak that when he put it on, our dungeon master is the person that's kind of running the game. He said, you're not sure what it does, but you feel really confident. And now he never takes his character, never takes it off, and he looks cool as hell. He always describes how he's wearing it. And the next day after we played, Paul Manafort got busted for his ostrich coat, and I thought it was perfect. Perfect. So he's pretty much Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Paul Manafort. Exactly. Who doesn't want to be that? Oh my gosh, I, that's Everyone? a great character. I mean, right come there. on, right there. That's a parody in itself. It is. <laughs> okay, so my fun facts would have to do with my dinky dog, mm-hmm. Peachy's Gertrude McFuzzin. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's her full name. She, <laughs> I yell that out loud to her when she does something dumb, which is often. Mm-hmm. And I have been told that dogs take on the characters of their person. Yeah. I can't deny that. <laughs> I can't deny that. Uh-huh. She's a jerk. Uh-huh. But I love her. Mm-hmm. She can't go out in public because she acts a fool. Yep. But she loves everyone mm-hmm. except for other dogs. <laughs> yes, that's, she that's loves not... men more. Interesting. And I'm not going to slut shame her. Mm. But that makes me feel some type of way. Uh-huh. Because I don't have that many men coming through my life. Right. And I already feel kind of weird about that. Because I feel like I should, as we talked about the previous episode. Uh Um, So I feel like she's giving me a double whimmy of shame. I'm like, you're not good enough, and why don't you have a man? I'm pretty sure that's the look I got from her. And if you see, if anybody ever wants a picture of me and her during the New Year's, and I give her a kiss and she rolls her eyes at me, that is a constant. Yes. Yes, and uh, you have offered before. uh, I have pictures. She has pictures, and if you want them, if you need them for your own self-care... You can write in. I got him. She's wearing a hat in one. She's wearing a tiger suit. No, she, a lion suit in oh one. Oh, my gosh. She's got Christmas PJs in one. Mm-hmm. She's sitting on top of people in another. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. See, All a lot of, of options. Yeah, yeah, and if you need resources, you can reach out to us as well. Um, Samantha will be back in our, our next episode. Forever, forever, ever, forever, forever, ever, ever. In this series on examining trauma. And the next episode is about trauma specifically. So you can look out, watch your feed for that. In the meantime, if you want to email us, if you need any of those resources or those pictures, you can. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Our Twitter is momstuffpodcast. And on Instagram, we are stuff mom never told you. Ooh. Thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Howard. And thanks Sorry, to you Andrew. for listening. <laughs>